welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. My name is Tyler Smith. Mine is David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty well, actually. All right. It's going good. Glad to hear it. I saw Sweet Sweet Bax Badass Song (laughs) in the movie theater last night. How'd that uh, turn out? Pretty sweet? (laughs) Sorry. There weren't, like, a lot of people didn't show up. That's a shame. And, uh... I don't know. It's, it's not an interesting story. So, yeah, oh, a lot right. of did show. But no, here's the thing. There was a guy... Uh, okay, the nature of these... It's the it's the Saturday Night uh, Holy Fucking Shit series at the Silent Movie Theater. Okay. Where they show, like, cult movies and, and just, like, weird stuff. And it's usually kind of a fun vibe, you mm. know? And one guy just decided that meant that he could uh, pretend that he was Tom Servo... Uh, and uh. talk during, and make jokes like pretty much throughout the movie um, and here's the thing it's I mean it's hard to define because there are certain screenings uh, at in the holy fucking shit series at the silent movie theater which I feel like I fucking work for them because I mention it so often but That's they right. they're, they program so well uh, I, I, I really support them there are certain screenings there that that would kind of be okay if you're funny. Oh, uh, yeah. A, that screening wasn't well attended enough for that to be okay. It became just like that guy wanting the spotlight. Yeah. And B, the guy wasn't funny at all. Yeah. Just horrible. And it was also something I just felt really weird because there were basically about 12 of us in the theater, all white. And so hmm. here's 12 white people watching Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Oh, and here's a guy making fun of it. <laughs> It doesn't look good. <laughs> oh man. Well, uh I think I once told you about the the story where uh I believe it was the I believe it was opening day of uh Austin Powers the spy who shagged me mm. and I went to go see it with a group of friends. Uh I probably would not have seen it on my own. I went to see it with a group that it was their idea and yeah, why not? And so uh f- pretty much full theater and uh a weird thing happened. I'm sure, I don't know if I told you, but basically, uh, full theater, everyone's there, and then a guy walks in and sits in the very front row because it's, I mean, that's, first off, that's pretty much the only thing that's available, but he's alone, so he could have right. taken a seat somewhere else. He sits front and center. I mean, he's right there. He's got a huge thing of popcorn, big thing of soda, nachos, and a hot dog. Like, he's got all this stuff. Like, he's... He's in it to win it. And so um, so he sits down, and he just – his laughter at the jokes, you know, like everybody would laugh. And then as if he had to wait for somebody to translate, like he would laugh about 20 seconds later. It was, And he had like kind of an Ed McMahon-type laugh. You did like, tell me this. Yeah. And then there's this one, there's this one scene where it's, it, it just reeks of like someone – some executive was like, you don't have a joke here work something in. Uh-huh. And so there's a scene where uh, Austin Powers has binoculars with the strap around his neck and uh the girl that he's with uh takes the binoculars and walks away with them. Oh, but the strap is still around Austin's neck. And so like it drags him into like a like a, a metal pole of some sort and makes a, you know, a nice dong sound. Yeah. And uh you know, nobody laughed cuz it's not that funny. You know, it's just it's pretty easy humor. This guy, though, 
responded. He didn't respond just with laughter. He responded. This is how it goes. Dong. Oh, <laughs> like that's that's what he did. Like, did he have the 20 second delay on that one? Uh, no, he was dead on with that one. Here's what I think with the other one. It's a 20 second delay. OK, here's what I think was happening. OK, you weren't sitting next to him. No, I wasn't. I think he's got a laugh that ramps up. <laughs> I think he probably started with a, a breathy chuckle. Okay, just like <laughs> like that. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. Fair enough. But the, but that's the thing. This thing took the guy by surprise. It must have been. Hence the oh oh. Didn't I saw, see that coming. I saw Goldmember on opening day. I never go see movies on opening day very yeah. rarely because I don't like all the crowds. But essentially, my friend called me and she said. Hey, my sister and a bunch of her friends are going to see Goldmember on opening day. Uh, I was thinking about going with them. You want to meet me there? So I was like, yeah, that'd be fun. So I went, and I'm standing around waiting for my my friend uh, Jamie, and this young girl walks up to me, uh, Jamie's sister. I didn't know her, but she walked up. She was like, are you David? My sister's on the phone. It was Jamie, and she was like, I got a flat tire. I can't make it. And I'd already bought my ticket, so I ended up watching Goldmember opening day with a bunch of people who were like in high school (laughs) (laughs) nice all right then (laughs) Uh, all right enough dilly dally yeah okay so yeah we absolutely do now it's episode it's episode 50 now as you mentioned 52 landmark episode it's a little ways off but you know what 50 is nothing to scoff at all Right. right so we've uh so you know for episode 50 We've got we've made some changes, listeners. First off, David's not going to be here anymore. All right, <laughs> I can't put up with this bullshit anymore. Um, no, that's that's a joke, of course. No, um, okay. Here's the first announcement. Okay, for the one or two of you who enjoyed going to our website and reading the show notes, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't keep up. I can't keep up with it. I don't like listening to myself, and that's what I have to do, is <laughs> listen to the podcast afterwards and decide what needs a show note. And I don't think enough people read it, and I just feel like people know about what we talk about so we're not going to do the show show notes anymore and they're not going to be archived in it either we're going to just get rid of them right um now i you know i love listening to myself as you can probably tell <laughs> um but uh but yeah it's we gotta we gotta make room for something else now, for a while, we did have uh, a battleship pretension store, and then for some damn reason, uh, it just shut off. I think th- I think the uh, website that we used um, was having some kind of de- uh, technical difficulties, but our store basically just went away. So we were looking for a new one, and um, we found one. And right now, the only thing that is uh, excuse me, the only thing that is available are uh, things with our Battleship Pretension logo. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm getting... There's some technical difficulties going on. But um, anyway, so so right now, uh, in place of our show notes section, you will find a link to our store. And at our store, you will find not only T-shirts, David. Some pretty awesome stuff. Some pretty awesome Battleship Pretension stuff. Let me see if I can conceivably put all this in one in one uh sentence wonderful day um where basically oh here we go you wake up and you're like i want to have a battleship pretension day so you you know you you pour some coffee into your battleship pretension mug all right 
And you stylish s- comes in white, I think. Does comes in white, I believe. Yes, with our logo. <laughs> yeah, there's no need to mock the product, David. It mocks itself at this point. Um, so you you have your coffee, you set it down on your battleship pretension coaster, uh, but it's time for work. You can tell because you look on the wall at your battleship pretension clock. That's a wall clock. That's a wall clock, everybody. Uh, we don't have wristwatches yet, but you know, <laughs> give us time. So. So you're going to want to get drunk about halfway through work. So you got your Battleship Pretension beer stein, and uh, you grab that, and then you put on your, your BP t-shirt. Or golf shirt. Or golf shirt. Thank you, David. Um, you know, to protect your head from the elements, you got your baseball hat. Um, you may want, you know, maybe a little chilly out, so you got your, your BP hoodie. And uh, But, you know, in case you want to take that off, you can just throw it in your BP tote bag. Um, and then, you know... At the end of the day, you lay down, you cuddle up with your BP teddy bear. Uh, well, you so missed something. What did I miss? Aren't you going to use the computer at work? Yes, you will. Of course. I mean, at the very least, you need the computer to listen to the podcast. Right. So you're going to need, you know, you can't just have a mouse willy-nilly. You can't just have it <laughs> at wherever. Just so, floating around in the ether. Exactly. Who knows where it could be? <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, so you've got your, your Battleship Pretension mouse pad. Now, I believe we also have uh, some refrigerator magnets and I think some stickers. I may not have actually put that up yet. So we've got all that kind of stuff. Uh, you're welcome to look at the uh, at the uh, the store and see what you like. They are, I would say, fairly moderately priced. Yeah, I think the t-shirts are at least are better priced than our old t-shirts, aren't they? They're better priced, and I will say this: they're better quality. Okay. Um, and they come in a variety of colors that you the uh, you the customer can cho- can choose. So there you go. So that is our that is our battleship pretension store, new and improved. Now, as I said, right now the only thing that's available are shirts with our logo, uh, shirts and other products with our logo on it. Uh, I will try and get some, you know, some of our old shirts with like you know yeah, famous movie lines yeah. and that kind of thing. So uh, so yeah, be on the lookout for that. That's uh, that's going to be up uh, as soon as this po- uh, episode is available. All right. What uh, well, what else is online? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, we've talked about this before, but uh, at the time, I really had no interest in maintaining it. But since then, uh, I have set up uh, a a, a, My- a battleship pretension MySpace group. All right, you can go and uh, you can post your own thoughts. You can post a new topic. You can. It's basically like it's a, a forum. forum. Yeah, yeah it's and you can give your thoughts thing. about uh, our you know about the podcast. Or, uh, you know, uh, what our topic was. And you can go back and forth with other listeners. And so, um, you know, that's kind of interesting, I think. Uh, but then, and then we also have one for Facebook as well. So we are out there with, yeah. the, with the young people and the culture. So, you know, <laughs> uh, if you go to MySpace or Facebook, uh, just type in Battleship Pretension. I imagine we're the only one that will pop up. All right. So... so uh Speaking of being out there with people. That's right. Here comes announcement number four. Number four. If you'd like to be out there with us. Um, here's the thing. Uh, my girlfriend, Teresa, who is awesome, as we've mentioned off- often on this podcast. Yeah, she's fairly awesome. Fairly awesome, yeah. Um, she and a couple of her friends uh, are doing a uh, – they've set up a charity marathon. Okay. Uh, essentially, just like any other charity marathon, you get so w- you get. Sponsored. Am I going to be running around a lot? You get sponsored for how far in the marathon you go. Okay, but no, you're not going to be running at all. Okay, thank you're God. Be sitting still. Oh, all and right. Watching six 
Leprechaun movies in a row. Six Leprechaun movies. I didn't even know that many existed. There are six Leprechaun movies. This is called The Leprechaun. The Leprechaun. Leprechaun 2008. That's uh, right. She's probably, she and her friends are probably going to be doing it yearly if this is a success. Where uh, The charity is 826LA, which I believe you can find at 826. Uh, that's the number is 826, and then LA is in Los Angeles. You can I think it's 826LA.com if you want to check out the charity and see if it's worth Yeah. Uh, participating in but if you would if you if you live in i mean you pretty much have to live in in the los angeles area to yeah. come to the to the the uh screening as it were it's probably going to be on our television but uh yeah <laughs> um so yeah send uh send Teresa an email at uh leprechaun at gmail.com that's, that's right l-e-p-r-e-t-h-o-n right at gmail.com uh it'll be a lot of fun and tyler and i will be there yeah so you get to meet us <laughs> <laughs> We we can sign your mouse pad. <laughs> oh, that's ridiculous! <laughs> Who would ever uh, show up at a thing to see us? Like yeah. who? That that's not that's no, barely a selling for charity, point for me. Show up for the charity and for the fact that you get to watch Warwick Davis. Absolutely, the, uh, leprechaun six leprechaun for, movies. You know, twelve hours. That's very exciting. So. Um, another change that's going to happen, and this is going to take us into our Yeah, this is episode 50, and yeah. as we've always said, yeah, uh, episodes that are divisible by five, yeah. evenly, are profiles. We do that's a profile right. of a filmmaker or just some sort of uh, yeah. film-related artist. Um, well, <laughs> here's the deal. It was kind of getting to be a lot of work, maybe? Well, here's the, here's the thing. Okay. The profiles, we enjoy doing them, and... Yeah. Based on the feedback, people do enjoy them. So we we didn't want to get rid of them completely. The fact is, they take a great deal of preparation. Now, you might think that five weeks is enough, but it really, honestly, it isn't. Um, we like to do we our do homework. other things besides the podcast. Exactly. I don't do that much. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I can't afford to go out and rent a whole bunch of movies. We do like to be prepared when it comes time for a profile. Um, and five weeks, you know... Sometimes it's just not enough. I mean, sometimes you have to wait for stuff on Netflix and all that. So, um, but we wanted to have it, you know, at a regular interval. So from now on, it's going to be every 10th episode. So um, you'll still get your profile today, as I'm sure you know from reading the episode description. Right. Um, so yeah, so it's going to be every, uh, and we're going to change another thing, you know, and it's, and it's okay because we've already made this exception, but, uh, it, the previous thing was that we had to, the, the artist had to be, uh, dead. And, um, yeah. you know, and the idea behind that was that, uh, you know, that way we can see the entire scope of that, uh, yeah. artist's career. And that's, and honestly, quite frankly, like, let's say you and I had profiled Peter O'Toole in 2005. Well, we would, we would have missed out on Venus, you know what yeah. I mean? So, I mean, you never really know. It's, it's a good idea, but at the same time, you know, it just... We were running out of artists that we could speak with with a lot of authority about. So um, yeah, and agree upon. I mean, nothing. That that's like, true. That's true. They were like knockdown, drag out battles between us. But it became. I mean, it's been somewhat difficult finding someone. Anyway, well, and that's you know, and we want to be able to profile more writers. And as we said uh, in the uh, William Goldman episode, it's just the. Uh, most of the writers that we like and can talk about are still alive, and so. So that's the exception that we're making. So there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, 
you know, a lot of changes, but hopefully they're changes that uh, will benefit you, whether it be the store or, you know, uh, the different forums or hopefully the here's or the Leprechaun. <laughs> yes, that will benefit everybody, David, especially 826 L.A. Um, but also, you know, <laughs> when when David and I were talking about this, he commented that, you know, you kind of feel the you kind of feel the pressure now because we're like, yeah, we want to be able to prepare for a full 10 weeks so that our profile episodes are really good. They better be good now. Yeah, yeah. So um, you have that to look forward to. But yeah. let's get into it, shall we? I Absolutely. Mean, like we said, this is episode 50. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're doing a profile. And those of you who didn't read the description yeah. don't know, so we'll tell you. We're profiling Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton. Now, for those who don't know who Buster Keaton is, I, for some reason... Uh, I imagine people have at least heard the name, or at least I yeah, hope I think, so. I think people know who he is, but I'm uh, just being facetious. But, uh, okay. Uh, go ahead and, and talk about him. Okay. Uh, Buster Keaton was uh, one of the top three uh, uh, silent comedians of the uh, teens and 20s, uh, right up there with, of course, Chaplin and Harold Lloyd. Um, he is. There's been a long-running debate of who's better, Chaplin or Keaton. And... Um, now, you're a Lloyd fan yourself. Right? I am a Lloyd fan. And I will say this. Of the three, I like Keaton the most. Lloyd is, sec- Lloyd is second, and, Ke- and uh, Chaplin is last. Uh, I don't necessarily mind Charlie Chaplin. I think he was brilliant. But, um, and we mentioned, we, we mentioned this, um, I think, uh, oh, with one of the guests. I think we mentioned it with Matt Belknap that, you know, some people just refuse to, oh, I'm sorry. We mentioned it with a guest that we haven't aired yet, so never <laughs> never mind. But uh, I think we touched on it with Matt Belknap. But um, the idea that, like, the thing that kept me from really loving Chaplin, and he is, you know, he is a, a, mas- uh, a master of his craft, but he always seemed to feel like he was better than comedy. Like, he always seemed to look down on it like he wanted to infuse it with some melodrama. He wanted to make a difference. Like, you know, so he would all, there would always be incredible melodrama and sometimes it was you know very affecting other times it's just like you were really funny a minute ago what the hell are you doing now you know and it's just uh you know and he just really kind of bought into his own hype and uh and there's nothing necessarily wrong with wanting to make a difference but like he tended to look down on keaton and lloyd to a certain degree but i'd say more keaton um because keaton just wanted to make people laugh that was it that's all he wanted to do and Chaplin was always more popular than Keaton, and Keaton never liked that. Uh, he always felt a certain amount of inferiority. Um, but I would say that his films are better um, or more fully conceived. They're not. They're a little more even because he was committed to the laughs. He was committed to that. You know, it's not like here's a scene of an incredible physical comedy and here's a scene of somebody crying. Like it was never that. Yeah. Um, it was always comedy, comedy, comedy. That's what, that's what he was all about. So I took a class on the silent comedians, <laughs> by the way. Um, I don't mean that. So I will probably spout off every once in a while and I apologize for that. That's good because I'm not, uh, you know, a Keaton expert. I've seen, you know, I've seen a few of the main ones. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's about it. But I, I, yeah, I, I'm the same with with Chaplin. I've seen yeah a few of the of the main ones. I, I haven't really yeah. Well, and I'll say this: that with with Keaton, with any of the the silent comedians, it's. I mean, they made so many. Especially, I mean, they made a lot of short films as well. That it's like I haven't 
I don't consider myself to be an expert. I haven't, I've really only seen a handful of Keaton's films, handful of Lloyd's as well. Um, but, but you do own the Buster Keaton. <laughs> yes, I own uh, the, the Kino box. Yeah. Which is astounding. And I, yeah. when I have, like I, I, I've said this to you before, if I get like, you know, cancer or something. Yeah. Like if I, for some reason have to be in bed for a long, long amount of time, I will definitely borrow that, that, what is it like 12 disc uh roughly that yeah yeah but you're gonna you're gonna want to laugh your troubles away david yeah and that's the way to do it um so uh so yeah so we're gonna looking at his uh, filmography here um there's now, really should i be looking at director or actor i would say let's go with director okay that's what i had um right. because you know a lot of the things that uh, like if you look at a lot of his movies, like he is not often credited as the director. Uh, it was a, it's a fair assumption, uh, and it's pretty much a given that um, Harold Lloyd and uh, Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, Harry Langdon, even if they didn't have credit, they were pretty much calling the shots, yeah. you know. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, um, he even when Keaton is not credited as director, he pretty much made the majority of the decisions. So, um, so the first one on his, start with one week. Yeah. Let's start with one week. It's only the second one in his filmography. So that's good. Uh, it's, so it's his second film and it's honestly, uh, of the shorts, it's what about 20, 25 minutes? Uh, about 20. Yeah. Of the shorts that I've seen, it's my favorite. Okay. Uh, I have notes. Okay. All right. Um, it reminds me in a lot of ways. Okay. Should we talk about the story of, yeah, yeah, It's basically the first week of a couple's marriage. Yeah. They get married on the first day, and the the uncle buys him a house, right? Is it his uncle? Right. Someone buys him a house. I think it's his uncle, yes. And um, when he gets there, the house is just a bunch of boxes, as yeah. if it came from Ikea, right. with directions, and he has to put it together. And, of course, he puts it together all crazy, Yeah. Part, partially because Handy Hank, the... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just this side of mustache twirling villain, exactly. <laughs> who is just given like one like towel card at the beginning? Uh, this is the guy she turned down. Yeah, this, that's all the motivation he needs to just show up <laughs> all the time and wreak havoc and sabotage their lives in possibly a lethal way. Yeah, um, <laughs> but whatever, it's all in good fun. So yeah, uh, over the course of the week, they build the house and things go all, all sorts of wrong. And yeah. it reminds me a lot of early. Uh, like, I love the really early Mickey Mouse cartoons. Okay. Like, I'm particularly thinking here of, um, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the one that everyone's seen with all the skeletons and, like, the haunted house. Oh, yeah, thing, yeah. You know? And it has a almost pre-psychedelic the <laughs> way that, that that cartoon short does of, like, like, there's a part where Mickey grabs a doorknob to escape, but when he pulls it, the doorknob it turns out is the hand of a skeleton and he yeah. pulls the entire skeleton through the hole in the door. Yeah. And it's like weird, creepy stuff like that. And that's sort of like, uh, visual confusion and anarchy sort of shows up in one week mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, uh, uh, the best example is at one point he needs to get up to the second story from the outside and he grabs the railing from the porch. Yeah. The, all of it at once. Yeah. And turns it and suddenly it's a ladder and it's just, uh, it shifts your whole perspective, and, and it's it, as with all his films. This is a great uh, intro to this. It's very fluid. Yeah, uh, you know, the, um, 
I mean, I, I don't want to set up a straw man here, but that's essentially what we're going to do. Uh, there's a tendency... Some people think of older films as being more... Uh, Static? Yeah, and, and choppy. Yeah. And one need only watch any, really, of the great silent comedians to see uh, an amount of of verve uh, yeah. and and fluidity and and energy that we still don't often achieve today. Yeah, uh, and Keaton especially. Like, he just... His movies, like, they were almost always about constant movement. Like, yeah. um, Lloyd's, you know, were often often involved, like, a certain amount of, like, death-defying, like, stunt movies. Like, his theory was, like, you laugh out of nervous tension. Like, when uh-huh. you see him, like, hanging from a clock. Right. And you can tell, like, oh, he's really high up. He could die. Yeah. Like, you're laughing because, like, oh, my gosh, this is really frightening. Um, but Keaton, like, he was just constantly, you know, one thing that we'll talk about probably a little later um, is that he was very obsessed with machines and machinery. And, you know, uh, not only was he obsessed with movie making and, the you know, mechanism of that, but also just machines in general, trains, boats, whatever, um, because he just really liked constant movement. And oddly enough, one week... That's that had the potential to be a very static story because it's yeah. just a house. It's not going anywhere <laughs> except in the last <laughs> yeah, it does five minutes. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, he finds first off when the house is built, it looks like something out of a German expressionist film. Yeah, really. Um, but then like doors go to nowhere. You know, the walls come out easily, and he depend and he banks on that so he can get a piano in, and it's just. And walls spin when they shouldn't. Like, there's no way that the directions yeah. had them putting, I guess, you'd have to put, like, a pole through the center. Exactly. Like an axis. For, yeah. Why would the wall spin? And then, he, you know, he puts in a chimney. There's a hole in the in the roof. He puts a chimney on there, falls through that hole into the bathtub. Into the bathroom, because that's where the chimney is. Yeah. yeah, the chimney feeds down to the bathroom. Yeah, and it's just, it's just constant movement, and it's just... The sheer absurdity of it—that is—that's uh, hilarious. Yeah. The, I mean, really—I uh, said this before, and this is the note, the word that I have written down is—is is a visual anarchy. Yeah. Uh, another example is when he's pulling the piano in; he's got the pulley on the ceiling. Yeah. And Handy Hank is upstairs for some reason. For some reason. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as he's trying to pull, instead of pulling on the piano into the room, yeah. The whole ceiling is pulling down yeah. from the pulley. It droops as, as if it's made of elastic like or something. Like muslin or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is probably was like muslin. Yeah. But uh, and that's the sort of thing. It. I mean, I. I uh, this you, you could balk at this, but I, it really is sort of pre psychedelic. That. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's this idea that uh, you can't trust your senses. Your senses. Uh, I mean, he, it's very it's it's not in the it's not on the surface of, of his movies, but uh, he is causing you to question what you see, you know, well, and, like the physical properties of things. And that's something that he will do uh, throughout his his whole career. Is that yeah? I, I had that written down for later. He'll try and like he really tries to get you to second guess watching a film, watching a movie. Like he'll take certain well at. There's not a lot of that in – there's some of that in this movie, but there's more of it in, in uh, some of his later films. But, like, just the idea, like, if something – like, his character never knows more than the audience. Like, if something is off screen, his character doesn't see it, even though in reality he would. Like, it really is just about, I don't know, 
as you said, ma- like making the audience question their own, you know, what they're seeing or what their expectations are. Right. It's kind um, of Cartesian. Yeah. So, and that's the thing is like he still manages to ask interesting questions and put out interesting themes without bashing you over the head with it or calling your attention to it. Uh, you know, he's still just, I'm sure if you were to talk to him because like in interviews, he always seems like the most down to earth guy. Uh-huh. Like I'm sure he would say that what David and I have been saying for the last few minutes is bullshit because it's just like, well, I just want to make people laugh, you know? But, uh, well, there was one thing actually that I wanted to ask you about. Maybe, I don't know if this okay. came up at all in your, in your class, Okay, you know, in your studies. Yep. There's a, there's a part in one week where the woman is taking a bath. Okay. Uh, you know, and she clearly doesn't have clothes on. You can see her back. You can see, right. you know, and, um, she drops the soap or something. I can't yeah. Outside the bathtub. Outside of the bathtub. And she goes to reach for it and realizes she can't reach it. She's going to have to get out of the bath to get it. Yeah. So she stops and looks at the camera and gives it sort of a look. And then a hand comes out of nowhere and covers the lens. Right. And then when it goes away, she's got the soap again. Yeah. And that's from a, like a modern standpoint that's really postmodern. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean that what I wonder is the making the audience aware of the camera mm-hmm. or did, did you read the uh the film snobs dictionary? Did you read that book? Uh no I didn't. Oh you should read that. It's hilarious. But uh so uh, just I'm refer to the camera as the apparatus. Making the audience aware of the apparatus. Uh, seems like a postmodern thing, but I wonder if in the this is still this is 1920. This is pretty early in film. Mm-hmm. Was it possible for the audience not to be aware there was a camera in the room? Would would they have even questioned that? Uh, you know, um, aside, him, you know, acknowledging the camera and just the whole situation that everybody's in. It's like you're watching a movie. This isn't really happening. Yeah, you know, um, that is something that he did quite frequently. Um, it wasn't considered bizarre at the time. Is what I, what I think I, it was. was it? Okay. I think it was. Um, there were very few people uh, that would like look at the camera, essentially, you know, not even, but like look at the camera as if it were he were looking at the audience. You know, uh, it didn't happen very often. Okay. Um, so yeah, and certainly the way that he did it, where you know, winds up being a humorous little bit of business there. Yeah, with the cameraman's hand basically covering it up. It's just like. Even now, they're thinking lucky cameraman. <laughs> oh, and you and you congratulate yourself with a cigarette because of course um, he had to have uh, he couldn't cover his eyes. He had to have his other hand on the apparatus. <laughs> Ooh, dirty joke. Nice. That's what you come to Battleship Attention for. Absolutely. Um, all right. Did you have uh, anything else you want to say about uh, about this film? No, let's let's move ahead. Are we? Okay. What are we going to next? Next up is going to be the Playhouse. Okay, good. it would appear. Have I seen anything? That's what I'm wondering. Uh, you know what? I have. Uh, no, the next one I've seen on his filmography is the Playhouse, which um, is another short. And this one really, uh, like, he liked to experiment with the camera. This is the one where he really. I mean, he really like. There's there's a scene, a fantasy sequence where. Uh, his character is in the audience at a local playhouse with like a, an orchestra and some dancers and every dancer is played by Buster Keaton. Everybody in the orchestra is Buster Keaton. Everybody in the audience is Buster Keaton. Like basically he would just, he would, you know, put tape over 
all of the lens except a small sliver, and then he would rec- then he would you know record, um, or film. Sorry, yeah. he would film uh, you know himself dancing in that little sliver, and then he would move the sliver over and do it all over again. And the, at because you know, at, at the maximum, there's like ten Buster Keatons on yeah, one at yeah. one time, and it's it looks really seamless, especially it, yeah. I mean, I don't know what you because I I watched it on your DVD that right. you have. Uh, was there a lot of restoration done for that set? No, not that I not that I can imagine. I, I don't think I mean, those are those are what I've watched from your DVDs. They're gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think probably the general and possibly Sherlock Junior. I think they really touched him up. Okay. Um, but well, as far as let's hold off on that. Yeah, but as far as like it looking seamless, I mean. I mean, I remember when I first saw it, you know, it, it it may sound silly, but just as David said, I mean, people have very preconceived notions about early film. And one is that special effects are going to be cheesy and you're going to be able to tell from a mile away. You know, it's like you can tell that, oh, the Invisible Man, okay, that book is being held by wires, whatever. But like this, like it's I remember fantastic. I watched it and I was like, yeah. I didn't know they did this this early, you know. I thought they could wouldn't think to do this until like the fifties or something. Yeah. Um, but that was, you know, I'd say the movie is most notable for that. Yeah. That I, and because, yeah, that's what I was gonna say is that it spends the first portion of the film doing that so much that the film feels uneven once it sort of he wakes up from the dream and it gets going. It's right. Like you're too far into it to yeah. Be, it's it's not it's not my it's it's good but it's not my favorite yeah it still has a couple of moments like one thing he really likes to play with again he just keeps going where he plays with your reality like it shows him wake up from the dream and it looks like oh his landlord is coming in and kicking him out they're taking all the furniture out of his apartment and then they take the walls out of his apartment then you find out that he's on a stage and he's just a stagehand who is sleeping on a set you know (laughs) and it's like you know so stuff like that happens constantly like you you think you know what you're seeing and then he shows you that no there's all of this is fake it's all artifice so but yeah the playhouse is is good it's not it's not great but you know it's certainly worth watching to see him develop uh technically so all right so what's up next well okay so next is uh the boat i've seen the boat i have not so talk and about it. um honestly uh it's about a family it's a, it's another short, and it's about a family on a boat and just them trying to live on a boat. And, of course, once again, boat is constantly in motion going back and forth, so it's them trying to adapt to the constant back and forth. And it's very funny, but uh, it's something that he will explore further in the movie The Navigator, which was uh, one of his uh, features. So I'll talk more about that as it comes. Okay, well, so what's, what's up next? So next up... I will talk briefly about Cops. Um, I've only seen a couple... uh, I think I've only seen a scene from it. But um, if you're watching Buster Keaton films, you may notice every once in a while that a cop will either do something stupid or will get bashed in the head for seemingly no reason. Uh Um, Buster Keaton did not like Cops. He was... Much like Hitchcock. Much, yeah. uh, But, like, he had a very personal reason for it he he was very good friends with fatty arbuckle um he was kind of uh arbuckle's protege and then when you know of course arbuckle got into like this mess and the cops treated him very poorly and so keaton basically every chance he could in his films he would just make cops look 
incompetent or just worthy of getting the crap beat out of them. And so, um, so yeah, so you may every once in a while watch a movie and just be like, why did he do that? Why did he knock that cop over the head? Quite possibly killing him. <laughs> um, and that's, that's why he really hates them with a fervent passion. So, and the movie, the short cops is all about that. Awesome. So, all right, what's next? Next up, let's take a look here. Um, well, I saw, okay, well, our hospitality is really good. He did every once in a while, um, he would have to, like, the studio would say, hey, you need to, here's the story. You know, it's based on a play or something like that. And so he would try and incorporate his own gags into something that doesn't really require them. Uh-huh. And um, our hospitality is an interesting, it's an interesting movie. But he has a couple of uh, movies that, it's not that they're missteps. They're very good and, and very funny. But But you can tell that, the main storyline was not his. And usually you can tell because it feels a little more static than you would, than you would think. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so there's, I would say our hospitality is like that. Uh, but next up is Sherlock Jr. Yeah. Uh, and we're definitely going to have to talk, uh, again about his obsession with both, both film and theater yeah. and the artifice of it. And, and blurring that line between yeah. between audience and and performance, mm-hmm. uh, because mostly because Sherlock Junior involves him be, as a he's a projectionist at a at a movie house. Yeah, and at one point he uh, runs down the aisle and jumps into the movie. Yeah, uh, and then spends a long time in the movie and beca- he becomes a different character. Yeah. essentially, I mean he's still him, but he's like. He's like because the real character that he's playing, the projectionist, is studying to be an amateur, is studying to be a, a detective. Yeah, and then he jumps into the screen and becomes a full fledged like, uh, uh, like a Philip Marlowe or yeah. He becomes well, that's the thing is uh, <laughs> Buster Keaton, like so many of the other uh, silent comedians, like he often played characters that were not very smart, and yeah. so like you, so when he becomes this comedian, you're like, oh. Look at him. He's very suave. You know. Comedian? What? You mean detective. Detective. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, very suave comedian. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, when you see him become the, the on-screen detective, um, he's got this nice tux on and just he's got an answer for everything and he always gets out of trouble pretty easily. Yeah. Um, he's always several steps ahead of the bad guys. Um, but before that, there's a brilliant sequence, my favorite mm-hmm. sequence in the movie. Where oh, yeah. He's in the screen, yeah. But as will happen in movies, there are edits, yeah. And so suddenly he's standing in relation to the frame. He's in the same place, but he's suddenly right. in you know on the, the tundra of, or yeah. like on a beach, like and he, it, it's it's amazing. It goes on for a, a while. It yeah. keeps changing to different locations, and he keeps and he'll when he shows up in a different location, he will have been standing on something, and then yeah, there's nothing for him to stand on. So suddenly he falls, and it's just. It's, yeah, it's gorgeous. This it, I wanted to say this earlier, actually, with one week. Your your mention of a uh, constant motion, mm-hmm. you know, in 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 Buster Keaton in particular, but in silent films, silent comedies in general. Um, I I feel like a filmmaker today that I'm an okay fan of, but I think really owes a debt to silent comedy. Mm-hmm. And I'll see how you feel about this. Is Guy Ritchie? 
Oh, okay. Because he really uses that same motif yeah. of of motion. Yeah. And and never and never resting and and getting getting your laughs based on the energy that you create from yeah. the constant motion. You know, and it's interesting. Um the I've only seen of his films, I've only seen Lockstock and uh, Snatch. I didn't see Swept Away or uh, well, he did another one recently that was just critically reviled. Yeah, I've only seen the the two that people care about. Eat too, right, right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. I think you know, there's uh, because his movies are fast paced. But I wouldn't. But when I think about them, I don't think of like crazy editing or anything. I just think of a very, I would say, almost a manic energy that just like. And just you're constantly – this is partially because his movies are usually like kind of caper films. Yeah. So there's a plot that constantly requires you to be moving forward. Um, but yeah, I would say the tone of his films are very similar to this kind of thing. I mean there's there's a scene where uh, – uh, what could be viewed as a suspenseful scene in uh, Sherlock Jr. where these two guys are constantly trying to kill – uh, the detective, whether it be with poison or a billiard ball that explodes, which yeah. is a little strange, or like an axe coming down on a chair or something like that. And there's a brilliant bit of uh, with the billiards where he basically manages to shoot every ball except the one that is going to blow up. Yeah, and there's a long take. I mean, it's a very yeah. And I want to. I'm I actually have something to say about that, but I want to wait till we get into the general. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's just. Uh, yeah, that it, that I'd say Sherlock Jr. more so than than some of his other movies is when he really just started experimenting with with film. I mean, and the movie itself is about is about film, about a character who wants to live out his fantasies through film um and is inspired by film, you know, and just and at the very end he gets the girl. I'm not ruining anything when I say that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, um sure. he gets the girl and he's like holding her hand and there's a, a romantic movie being played on the screen, and there's you know a man and a woman, and right. That's when he's back out of the movie. He's back he's out, out of the movie. Booth. That's right. Thank you. He's out of the movie, and he keeps looking at the screen to see what the man on screen is doing. So he holds her hand. The guy kisses her on the cheek. The guy puts a ring on her finger, and like so, like Buster will put the ring on her finger, take a breath, and then look back at the screen. And it's it's actually very funny. And then, of course, there's a nice little moment where they kiss. He looks back at the screen. And next thing you know, the two, you know, the two people on screen have a whole litter of children. And then it's just like, uh-oh. Yeah. What do I have to do now? Oh, we all know what I have to do. But, uh, but yeah. So, it's, so that one really, I mean, it's, it's about just – that's like as far as movies about movies, that's – that's a big one. It's about the technology of movies. It's about the audience's reaction to movies and just, you know, I don't know. It's it Sherlock Jr. is a lot of fun and it's a little strange, I'll be honest. Yeah, it's so. yeah, there's a there's a lot of surrealism in his movies. Yeah. Uh I mean, if you like if you look back at one week, I mean, a train plowing through a house. Yeah. <laughs> is a surreal image. Like I thought while watching it like yeah. obviously he set up a story to get here, but on its own that's weird. Well, and what, and especially it's weird when he fakes you out the first time. Yeah. Like, you think a train's going to plow through the house. It goes on a different track, and you're like, oh, man. Oh, no, there's one. And, <laughs> and then there goes the train, because you're kind of bummed out. You're like, oh, I kind of wanted to see a train plow yeah. through the house. And there it is. Um, so next up is The Navigator, which, you know... Uh, I haven't seen. 
now this one is a little odd. Um, this one does have the the constant motion, but it is of a very large boat. Um, I would say, I forget if it's if it's like a battleship, but I mean it's that size. It's huge, and basically it's being manned by him and this woman. And that one, it's got the motion because it's it's a boat, but you know it doesn't move fast. You know it. This like it's this along with uh, another movie that he made called Go West, where he has to herd, yeah, you know, uh, just a huge number of cattle across the across the prairie. But of course, cattle he's not stampeding them, so it moves very slowly, and you kind of feel a certain amount of frustration with that. And the navigator is very good. Um, I mean, he manages to get a lot of comedy out of. Uh, the relationship between him and the girl. And there's another <laughs> slight tangent. There's another little theme in his movies. He's a bit of a misogynist um, where like if there's a woman who's like trying to be helpful or something like that, she often winds up just getting in his way and like yeah. just kind yeah. of annoying. I wouldn't say he's a misogynist, but he sees the, the inherent humor. He kind of plays up certain stereotypes. Like, you know, the, the woman will become really, uh, focused on something that is completely unimportant. Um, I'll mention more of that with the general, but it happens quite a bit in the navigator. Hmm. And honestly, it's often very funny on the general. Okay. Well, I'll see what you say. Okay. Um, are we talking about the general now? Um, or do you want to talk? Well, I've seen, I've seen a scene from go West that you showed me. Yes. And, um, the scene involves him setting up a campsite and then, Trying to, I guess, have breakfast outside of the campsite. Yeah, in wet mud. Yeah, is, and he set up a table and chair. I guess he's is he a rich guy. Uh, yes, probably. He's got like a butler or something, as I recall. It's been a while since you showed. This I think thing. so. It's been a while since I've seen it. And essentially, as he's trying to eat his breakfast, the table and the chair keep slowly sinking into the mud. Yeah. And you mentioned that the movie moves at a slower pace, uh, but I think this scene in particular. I mean, the only one I've seen from the film. Uh, I like that slower pace, and it really he really plays off his his deadpan persona. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know who he reminds me of again? I'm going to talk about an action director for some reason. Okay, but um, uh, Takeshi Kitano or beat uh, beat Takeshi, who made um, he's a uh, he's an Asian director. He made uh, uh, an amazing movie called Fireworks, which if you haven't seen, it came out in the mid '90s. And I think you've told me to see it. It's fucking great. Okay. And it's brutal. Uh, but, uh, and then Takeshi Kitano was also showing up. I mean, he uh, he made he recently made, uh, I guess recently, it's a few years ago now, uh, Zatoichi, The Blind Swordsman, which mm. was really good. And then he, he didn't direct, but he uh, had a role in Battle Royale, the Japanese film. Oh, which okay. Is also, that movie is ten times better than the synopsis would, have, <laughs> would lead you to believe, or at least that was my experience. Okay. So I was like, oh, this sounds kind of kind of dumb and then it ended up being a fucking gorgeous amazing bloody brutal awful awesome movie oh my <laughs> and uh Takeshi Kitano was another guy who uh I mean the the rumor is and I don't know if this is true that he had suffered some sort of like uh injury to his face that limits his mobility in his face and that's why beat Takeshi is also always so stoic <laughs> because hmm. he can't really move his face and I feel like uh at least in this scene in Go West and in a lot of Buster Keaton stuff, he, his deadpan stuff uh, adds another almost surreal element to his comedy. 
uh, because his almost complete lack of reaction to things. You know, and and I get yeah. Now I guess is a good time to to talk about that. Um, yeah, he you know he never smiled. I I've seen him in interviews to this day. I've never seen him smile, <laughs> and it's it's weird because it's something you don't. He pulls it off. It never seems forced. I mean, there are people who talk about bill murray these days as having just this stone face but everyone talks about how it seems a little forced and all that kind of thing oddly enough everyone talks about that well a lot of people i'm sorry a lot of people that i don't agree with talk about that (laughs) but um but you know it it never seemed forced with buster keaton he always i don't know he always struck me as of the three the most realistic in his reactions like it may it seems kind of absurd that he never has much of a facial reaction um, but he does have certain subtle reactions. But the fact is, Erlen's er, early silent comedies, the characters were always getting into horrible situations. <laughs> There's no reason for them to smile, right. you know. And just like, and uh, you know, Chaplin, his character always seemed to exist on some kind of other plane anyway. So he didn't show a lot of like anger or frustration or anything. Uh, Lloyd, he, his character always just. You know, was always kind of the the kid who's just it's like, well, I don't like the way things are going, but you know what, I got to do it, and there we go. Keaton, when he the only expression he ever showed, and even then didn't show it a lot, um, was always just like, Ugh, come on, seriously, <laughs> like just, and he always ex- expressed it with that stone face, like sometimes just an extended blink would show that just like this is bullshit <laughs> you gotta be fucking kidding me like it just because it constantly happened he would con- like life would just beat the crap out of him and he and he reacted as if it was beating the crap out of him like it's just one damn thing after another um and uh but he always did it with a minimum of of exp- of facial expression one of my favorite things in uh the general, which we'll get to in a minute, but um, at the at the beginning, he uh, you know he's got his sweetheart, and so he gives her a picture of himself in front of his train, and of course the picture of him, he looks like a corpse. <laughs> he's just he's just sitting there, stone faced, not even looking at the camera, just looking somewhere else, and she's like, oh, that's wonderful, and it's just like, well, that's a picture of him. Um, but right. uh, so did. Did you want to say something about Battling Butler? Because I think you've seen that one, right? Uh, I have seen it. Honestly, I couldn't tell you much about it. I seem to recall it's very funny because it does feature uh, Buster Keaton boxing, which, you know, he's he's a he was a brilliant physical comedian, and he was always in good physical shape. And so, like, I'll say this, like, about his, like, pratfalls, even when it's like, oh, he's going to slip on this banana peel. Like, literally, some of his falls were as predictable as that. Yeah. Like he f- slips on a banana peel in Sherlock Jr. But the way he falls is always funny because somehow he's decided I'm going to take this fall with my the side of my neck. Like he always <laughs> seems to fall straight back onto his neck. And one of the stories uh and it's a true story about Sherlock Jr. there's a scene where he's running along a train and then the train, you know, comes to an end and he just falls straight down. And he went, and his the back of his neck hit the the rail, Ooh. and so like so he's like oh my gosh I am in horrible pain and his head hurt and everything, and then you know eventually the soreness went away and everything was fine, but uh, about fifteen years later he's at the doctor and he gets a, uh, an X ray and the doctor's like 
hey, when did you break your neck? And he's like, I don't know. I didn't know I broke my neck. And he's like, oh, you know what it was? I bet it's this when I slammed it against a metal rail. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, just – and Battling Butler has like some really nice – some really – amusing scenes of him in, in the boxing ring and it's also shot in an interesting way it may it re- really you really feel like you're there and i think martin scorsese cites battling butler as one of his influences uh when he would uh stage the 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 boxing scenes in raging bull so okay that's all i'll say we've got right, you well, know speaking of uh i don't know action and violence uh let's talk about the general okay which, the thing about the general it's awesome. I would recommend it to anyone. Yeah. It's almost more of an action movie than a comedy. Uh, okay. I, I don't find myself laughing a lot at the general, mm-hmm. but I am constantly entertained. Again, yeah. again, there's the constant motion thing because it's yeah. essentially the uh, three-fourths of the film are trains chasing each other, Yeah, which is a cool idea. It's inherently funny because you, can't, you, you can never officially catch them. You're you're always going to be behind them, right? <laughs> like, which is you know inherently funny to me, but but yeah, I mean it's it could qualify as an action movie. It's got very thrilling scenes, big explosions, bridges falling. Yeah, and man, yeah, there's some awesome in all his movies. He he had for the time quite a budget because he was always like like wrecking houses and trains, destroying and- towns. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. When the uh, in the general, the train goes over the burning bridge and then yeah. falls into the river. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. But uh, and this is what I wanted to. What I first thought of when you were talking about the billiard ball thing in Sherlock Junior. Um, his physical feats mm-hmm. on camera. Uh, his and the other silent comedians we're talking about, Buster Keaton today, so uh, are astounding. And yeah. Sometimes unbelievable you can't believe that he that a person actually did that you right. know even as far in in one week the part where he's climbing up the ladder on the side of the house yeah and then he leans and the ladder stands directly upright right and then he just switches around to the inside of the ladder and pulls it back to the house and then climbs yeah. down the inside of the ladder yeah and that's amazing and the thing is people don't really do that anymore in movies and no. i think because of the rise of special effects Audiences tend to be less impressed by that type of stuff. Yeah. And the exception to the rule, again, I keep bringing up action movies uh, with him. I, well, I it stands to reason. This, but um, Jackie Chan okay. yeah. is Absolutely. such a Buster Keaton. Yeah. I mean, now Jackie Chan's a little bit older and he can't really do all the stuff. But I don't know. If you go back to his Hong Kong stuff, if you watch uh, Super Cop, which is a movie I used to really like. and okay. I used to own it on DVD until I was broke and behind on rent and had to sell some dvds uh yeah jackie chan is uh i think the 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 purest like uh descendant of silent comedy yeah um yeah i would absolutely say that that's true um because he's also funny like he's a funny guy um like jet lee can do some amazing physical things but there's there doesn't seem to be a great deal of wit behind them. Jet Li has always been completely humorous, and that's part of his badassness. Like, Jet Li is badass. And, yeah. Uh, I like Jet Li a lot. Yeah. He's, yeah, completely humorless. Okay, you, say, like, okay, you said like humorous Jason's. the first time. No, I, I think I'm, I just talk too fast. Oh, okay, fair He's enough. He's completely humorless. Yes. Yeah. Much like Jason Statham. 
<laughs> that's what makes him such an awesome action hero is that he has n- he's never joking around <laughs> <laughs> which is odd because in Lockstock he he is kind of the one of the funnier characters but yeah these days he's just freaking he's like uh it's like Sam Elliott um <laughs> but uh yeah the gen- you know what it's it's not at all unusual that you are reminded of action directors because i mean he the the amount of commitment that it took to make first off he staged movies on on a huge level i mean yeah. he, it's like chaplin always chaplin had some really interesting somewhat big set pieces but you know what they were always in a sound stage always he liked to have complete control i mean the general he's on a train and the camera's on a train yeah for the and it's a moving train going fairly fast and he's on it and it's just it is it's thrilling you know i mean and harold lloyd had a bit of that too but he would have static thrills you know he wouldn't have the camera moving up the building as he's climbing it it's just there when he's about to fall off it but like just the constant motion and having to juggle a lot of things like there's a scene where he is standing on a moving train going from right to the left from right to left chopping wood Meanwhile, from left to right behind him is a huge is the Union Army, just yeah. on horseback, just going really fast, and it's like he had to stage all that. I mean, that's yeah. this, it's a freaking epic. I mean, this is like D.W. Griffith. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's and the, in the middle in the midst of that, there can be some really solid laughs and. You know, some nice little moments where, like, there are moments where... Strangely, I think the funniest part in the general is the part where uh, it's the most violent part where people keep dying, where he's trying to tell the guys where to point the cannon, (laughs) and before they can fire, there's, like, a sniper taking them out, and each guy who's supposed to fire the cannon keeps getting, like, (laughs) shot in the neck right beforehand. That's the funniest part. Oh, man. (laughs) There's a lot of of stuff. I, I, I say the general is, like, one of the funniest movies out there. Um... But it's, you know, it's it's a movie that, it's, you know, he always played it straight, you know, it's, and that's why it could be viewed as an action movie, I mean, or, you know, or just a really solid chase movie, you know, it's like, you could show, like, let's say you showed it to somebody who didn't know who Buster Keaton was and had never seen a silent film or a silent comedy, they might approach, they'd be perfectly justified in approaching it as just a you know a drama or an epic you Uh know um and then they might find themselves surprised like at some of the weird funny amusing (laughs) things yeah but you know it it certainly does qualify as excuse me as an action chase movie and the general is yes one of my favorite movies ever and it's i would say probably the movie he's best known for do you think i would say so even though it was a financial disaster at the time and that tends to happen yeah it does (laughs) It really does. All right, so uh, there's a bunch of movies after that, but there's only one more that I've seen. Uh, you know what? Actually, it's the yeah, it's the most recent one that I've seen as well. Okay, good because we're running out of time. Yeah, and it's also fittingly my favorite Buster, Buster Keaton movie. Okay, it's uh, it's called Steamboat Bill Jr. Yeah, um, and <laughs> it's if it weren't a comedy, this would be like beyond Ken Loach, like. <laughs> Like gritty and disturbing, yeah. Because essentially, it's about a guy who has a really horrible father. Yeah. Like I'm talking like 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 James Coburn in Affliction, like horrible <laughs> father, uh, whom he hasn't seen since he's a baby. 
and um, then he graduates, I guess, from college. Is that the implication? Yeah, yeah. And goes to his father, who hasn't yeah. seen him, like I said, since he was a baby. Uh, and his father is disgusted because he's, I guess, kind of a fancy boy. Well, there's a there there's a, a character type that he would play called the Saphead. One of his movies is actually called okay. the Saphead, and basically, it was usually a uh, fairly distinguished but utterly clueless and incompetent person who's usually pretty naive um but is usually as yeah kind of a fancy boy kind of a dandy yeah so um so yeah this is kind of a a rehash of his saphead character um and his his dad is steamboat bill who runs yeah. a steamboat in a small town uh where the rival steamboat uh is run by a guy named something king yeah mr king uh who's uh, a rich prick yeah of and, course <laughs> and who has a a gorgeous daughter played by marion byron uh, oh. look at you paying attention to names <laughs> yeah well she's really attractive <laughs> um and uh and yeah so that's another thing is that this woman is this young woman is in love with with our our saphead character and Again, Steamboat Bill Jr.'s dad is such a prick that he he's like, I'll fucking tell you who you're going to marry. Yeah. Uh, I, who haven't seen you your entire life, yeah. all of us, like, he shows up and he, and the dad disapproves of his wardrobe. I'll say this. I, the actor who plays the dad does a really good job. Like, yeah. I, I bought him. He really does look like a working man, but it's like, a blue God forbid guy. your son should want to marry a rich, beautiful, <laughs> seemingly educated. The implication is that they know each other from college. Yes. Uh yeah, she's like a perfect mate. Her, her only crime is that she happens to be the daughter of your uh, the guy who's um, not only your rival, but I'd say you're better as far as uh, <laughs> running the business. And so, um, <laughs> but, yeah. But, uh, I mean, we talked about big set pieces. The last act of this movie is uh, breathtaking, like Gone with the Wind breathtaking. Like yeah. it's uh, this essentially like a cyclone comes through the town yeah and there are just like houses blowing all over the place and there's yeah. a part where he is being blown by the storm and <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm fucking beavis and butthead here i just chuckled <laughs> at that uh anyway he's being blown across the street by the storm and he grabs onto a tree and then the <laughs> tyler's still shaking his head in disapproval i'll let you get it out of your system I'm doing this on behalf of the listener. Okay. <laughs> um, he grabs a hold of a tree, and the tree then becomes uprooted, and it essentially becomes like a, I guess, like a helicopter shot yeah. of him riding the tree yeah. through the town, and you get to see in one long, sweeping, extended take how huge this set. Well, I mean, it's not really a set; it's yeah. obviously a real location, but how how set decorated this is because the entire town is destroyed, yeah. and he's just riding above it all on a tree. Yeah, so it's cool. I mean, you like, you know, there is there is a benefit, and I mean, this goes back to the general and Sherlock Junior. There is a benefit to watching a movie and knowing that there was no CG at the time; yeah. it didn't exist, you know. And like, like if you were to watch, the, you know, if they did the billiard sequence in modern day, you know, yeah. then it's like, well, of course, you watch and you're like like well of course that they never hit that ball all those balls are cg right but that's not how it was he actually did those shots and they're amazing you know and then like these houses are actually being torn apart you know yeah. and it's just 
it's just so so ballsy like i just think it's interesting that like there was a time when like comedies had the highest budget of uh, of all the movies made yeah there is one uh pretty clear optical shot in that movie when yeah. he's in the middle of a field and like half a house lands on top of it. yeah which is still awesome. well even he has limits <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> he'll 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 break his neck but when you you know he's not gonna have a house drop on him yeah um he almost did a lot it's a recurring thing in his movies and you know which is also done in like wily coyote cartoons oh, yeah. and stuff where a wall will fall and he'll happen to be standing right where the window was yeah and uh uh it happens in in one week uh, yeah the wall falls and but it when it happens in steamboat bill jr the window is really small <laughs> really small and the wall is bigger and heavier i mean that does not look like you know a freaking stage flat i mean that yeah. looks like like that could that could kill you if it landed on you yeah it, I mean, it's. I mean, it really. His movies. I mean, we're sitting here chuckling at each other, but the fact is, his movies are something to behold. I mean, you yeah. watch them and you're just like, first off, whoever greenlit this thing, and then like, first off, whoever thought it up, and then who heard it and said, yes, I'll give you money for that. Um, and there is a nice little sequence in Steamboat Bill Jr. where his dad is trying to like, like, uh, you know, get him to look like less of a Nancy boy. And so he, uh, so like he takes him into a hat store, a haberdashery, a habit. Thank you. Well done. <laughs> and so, um, and he's trying on these different hats and there's one little moment that's like a little wink to the audience where like, he's just trying on one hat after another. His dad hates them all. And then as his dad is busy with this other hat, he puts on his Buster Keaton had a, had a pretty sign. He had a signature, what's called a pork pie hat mm-hmm. where, um, where it's basically like, uh, you know, like those hats that I don't know what you'd call it, like one of those straw hats that you see like people on a presidential campaign wear or something like that. But back it's like, in the old, like back in the old days. Yeah. yeah not these days. Fred yeah. Thompson wasn't wearing <laughs> <laughs> you know, he might have. If anyone could have pulled it off. <laughs> Fred Thompson. Yeah. But um, anyway, and so uh, but it's like one of those only I'd say about half an inch uh, tall. Like, yeah. it's it's tiny, and I have no idea how it stayed on his head. But, like, so, as he's looking at hats, he looks at that, and just his eyes go wide, and he instantly just throws it away, because he knows, like, my dad's going to hate this, <laughs> you know, um, even though well, I wear it in all my films. We do have to have to wrap up, but I wanted to say something, go back to the, the budget for comedies thing you were talking about. Okay. Um, when we see, these days, comedies with big budgets, mm-hmm. uh, Evan Almighty was, yeah. you know, famously like the most expensive comedy ever ever made yeah and i didn't i didn't see it you know full disclosure Neither but uh, I. I get the impression from those type of movies the budget goes into special effects and the special effects take the forefront and i don't yeah. think there's a lot of comedy going on with the special effects yeah in steamboat bill jr and in other things that he spent a lot of, that a lot of money was spent on as as breathtaking as the money spent is and, how, and and as much as you can see it on the screen, it's still funny first. It's oh still, yeah, he's still in the center of the frame, and it's still about about Buster Keaton. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, and you'll I mean you'll find that with with all the the uh, silent comedians. I mean they just it was always very much about them. All this crazy stuff going on. I mean even even Chaplin. I I make fun of Chaplin a lot, but he's amazing. Yeah, um, <laughs> but like. Uh, you know, it's just it was always it started with a strong, a very strong character. I mean, Harold Lloyd, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton—they all had strong characters. They never, they never really 
you know, uh, did anything different from that, but it's because they were just so iconic. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Buster Keaton, he really, if you haven't seen any of his stuff, you know, and there are some people, you know, there's probably some people that listen to the podcast that don't watch silent movies, but I would say if you're, if ever you want to start watching silent movies, I'd say start with Buster Keaton. Like it's, it's amazing how quickly you forget that that right. nobody's talking, right. you know, that you can't hear what they're saying. And, uh, and I'd say his movies are remarkably accessible. So, um, although there are occasionally, I know we need to wrap up, but there are occasionally jokes in the title cards in his movies. Yes. Yes. And they're not the funniest part of the movie, except for the one in Steve Bill Jr. That made me laugh so hard. Oh, uh, which one was uh, that? He, he's trying to break his dad out of jail. You know, his dad's a prick. Uh, yeah. And he bakes some tools into some bread. Yeah. And while he's holding it, Holding the loaf of bread, the tools fall out of the bottom. Right. Of the bread. Like the bread rips over and falls out of the bottom. And he says something to the guard, and the title card comes up, and it says, That must have happened when the dough fell in the toolbox. <laughs> uh, good stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. But, uh, all right. Anyway. So, um, all right. So, as a re- to recap, Buster Keaton, awesome. But there's also, okay, no more show notes. Sorry, okay. everybody. Uh, there's going to be a link to our store where you can find all kinds of stuff. Uh, Leprathon two thousand eight. Leprathon, leprathon at gmail dot com. At gmail dot com. Yeah. All right. Two thousand eight. Leprathon at gmail dot com. Um, there is uh, our MySpace and Facebook uh, f- groups, uh, as opposed to our MySpace page. Right. But uh, so yeah. Well, let me also say. Okay. Uh, if you live in Los Angeles, uh, Battleship Retent- one of Battleship Retention's favorite movies. That's right. Eric Meister Harmonies will be screening at LACMA. Uh, Friday, March 7th. We mentioned that a couple episodes ago with Josh Fadum. And we've mentioned it before on the show, yeah. actually. So, um, yeah, we love that movie. The Lackman's doing a whole, all of March is uh, uh, that filmmaker, including his one day, one Sunday, they're doing his seven-hour films, which, seven-hour film, which is, I think, uh, I don't know how you pronounce it. It's like Satan Tango, but it's probably not how you pronounce it. Awesome. Um, and it's going to be shown with like an intermission and a dinner break and everything is going to take all day. Uh <laughs> That film has come highly recommended to me, and I doubt that I'll sit through it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, have fun, and I hope to see you at Leprathon. Bye. Bye.